friends, the mercy, the kindness, the peace, the power, the presence of the Lord be with you as we spend a moment in his word. The second reading for today from Revelation 21. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, another day in your new creation. Help us to hear your word this morning and how it might um, affect us and shape our lives in the present as we go about our life here in the valley and as a church too. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us now in the name of Christ. Amen. Friends, there's two guys and they're both given a job in the local factory. And the job is to put the widget on the wadget. That's the job. Whatever the widget is and whatever the wadget is, their job is to put the widget on the wadget all day, every day, and they get to do that for one year. One whole year. Every day, the widget on the wadget, all year, every day. One guy is told that he'll be paid $20,000 for his year's work. The other guy is told that he'll be paid $20 million for his year's work. You can probably tell which guy's which from that. How do you think the two guys are going to go about their year, are going to do their job, are going to live? How are they going to go about it with that? Well, I think one guy will be bored and lifeless He'll take as long as he can possibly get uh, to, go, to get to work and he'll leave as early as he possibly can from work. And he'll tell all his friends that his life sucks and that he hates his job and that it's the government's fault and that he's got hardly anything to live for. He'll display little hope for his future. The other guy on $20 million for one year's work putting the widget on the wadget. He'll be whistling to work every morning, offering to get the other guy a coffee as he goes by, telling his friends that he loves his work and that he can't wait for the future because it's so bright and his life and his work will make complete sense and they'll mean something to him. He'll be displaying overflowing and possibly to the other guy quite annoying hope every day what's the difference the future future hope is the difference your future shapes your present does it not what you know is going to happen in the future determines what happens now what you hope for in the future directly has impact and shapes how you go about it now. I'll ask you a question. Did you hear your future this morning? I did. Then I saw a new heaven, sky, and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down, out of the sky from God 
prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Friends, what are you hearing about your future this morning and how will it determine now? And the thing about it is, this is here, a new sky and a new earth. So we're not floating off to it, but it's coming to us, where we are. And it's even things we already know, like earth and sky and garden and city and river. See how God's heaven has nothing to do with this idea that our spirit gets to fly off to some cloud and play the harp all day. To me, that would be like putting the widget on the wadget for the rest of my life. No offence to harp players. But how can this be? How can you trust that this is even possible? One word. Resurrection. That's the word. Easter resurrection. One man. Jesus resurrection. Friends, Jesus' resurrection was not just the happy ending to a sad story for our consolation. Jesus' resurrection was this. A new sky and a new earth from God here. Jesus' resurrection is God doing this, the thing he'd always promised right from the first creation, a totally new creation right in the middle of the old one. As you hear these post-Easter stories particularly of Jesus and ponder this grand vision of the Apostle John, you'll hear the first Christians grasping for words to try and express the full magnitude of what that first Easter Sunday morning actually meant for the rest of history. And they'll say things like this, Jesus is raised, so now you can believe that he is the long-promised saviour, messiah, anointed one of whom the prophets always spoke. He's the guy. He really is the guy. Jesus is raised, God's promised new creation spoken right from the first one in the garden and right throughout the story of God's people has come, has begun, right in the middle of the old one. All those promises about a new garden and killing the serpent and the new temple of worship and the new people of worship and the Israelites in the desert and the tabernacle and the promised land and the stunning words of the prophets about a new creation and a new saviour, a new messiah, a new human being, a new heaven and a new earth. David's words about a new king and a new nation and Ezekiel's words about a new heart. Not a stone cold heart but a soft open heart in sync with the heart of God. All those words, they're here. Jesus is raised not to be a floating soul wandering around somewhere. He's raised as a human body. He still eats and drinks and speaks and breathes as he always did. You know he's called the first fruits, don't you? You know, when the tree bursts and the fruit comes, he's the first one. And we're all the ones after him. We can trust that we will also be raised like him.
bodily. We will speak and we will see and we will do and we will feel and we will breathe as he did. All of me, all of you, and you will be you and I will be me. But somehow, and the New Testament writers struggle to find the words, but they use the word, as we heard in the gospel, glorified. Whatever that looks like, who knows? You might find this quite challenging. What is the goal of your life? What is your hope, actually? What do you hope for? Can you hear your goal, your hope, this morning? I would hazard a guess. I would say that your life and my life is not centred on simply going to heaven when I die, but living in God's new sky and earth now and then and doing so humanly, me, you, breathing, speaking. Now you might find this challenging because it challenges a very well-accepted, long-held belief that we have picked up along the journey, we Christians and lots of other people. We do say, you know, in the creed, and we said it again this morning, we believe in the bodily resurrection of the dead. But I suspect that hardly anybody actually believes that. I suspect most of us Christians in the West actually believe some really good, old-fashioned, ancient Greek philosophy. It's first spoken by people like Plato. His idea was that human beings have an eternal soul imprisoned in the physical body. And then when we die, finally the eternal soul or spirit flutters off like a dove into the sky. And so we are made of two things, says Plato, spirit, soul, and matter. And they're different. The thing that's the most valuable because it lasts forever, spirit, soul, whatever. And the thing that doesn't really count for much at all, body, physical, matter. It's just a temporary thing that you can discard. And the goal is to get rid of it and to fly away into some other wonderful place. How do you do this? Well, there's various responses to that. In the East, the Hindu believes in an eternal soul. Karma, we might say fate, experience, outworks itself in your life and you'll come back after death. You know, you keep on living over and over and over, reincarnation. And depending on how you did the last time around, you might be lucky enough to come back as something better than an ant or a, or a gnat or a cockroach or something. You might come back as a lion or, you know, something good like that. The Buddhist, different, hopes that after death she will lose all self. She will merge into the great nirvana and be a drop in the ocean. In the West, that's where we live, many have said many things about this. Do you remember René Descartes? He was the first to say, I think, therefore I am. So our eternal bit, the bits that are most valuable and last forever, that what really makes you you is not your body and your physical condition and all that stuff, it's what you think, your intellect, your brain. Your capacity to think makes you a human being. Nothing else does. Friends, can I say, this is not the biblical view of you. 
It's not. It just is not. And you can tell today if you have ears to hear. God's new creation is a new earth and a new sky and new animals and rocks and trees and streams of living water and a new city to live in. And live we shall. Jesus was bodily resurrected. He ate, he drank, he spoke, he breathed, he cooked fish on the beach. And he had the wounds that evil tried to inflict him with or did inflict him with in his body and yet he was raised. As he is raised as a new creation, so we are raised in the new creation. Body, mind, spirit, if you like to think of yourself that way. Whatever you are, you. All of you. All of you. But how do you know this for sure? How do you know? When did it happen? You probably know your date. I'll say one word. Baptism. That's when it all came to you. You were buried with Jesus that day and you were resurrected that day and you were what? Born again. You live in God's new creation in his new heaven and his new earth and his new city and his river of eternal life. You live in it now. You do. This is what your baptism tells you. I'm not making it up and neither are you. This is what God says about you. New creation, that's you. All things are made new, he says. New every morning, the psalm writer says. Born again into this new creation, right in the middle of this old one that's dying. Can you trust that you are not just waiting to go off to some far-off spirit place in the clouds when you die? Can you trust that you're being called to live now? And then, later, but now, in new creation that's already begun. I would say three words, future, hope, now. That describes us, I think. It's wonderful, and it's a whole lot more than 20 million, I can tell you. You won't miss out on a thing. And even more, did you notice something's missing from this grand vision of the Apostle John and God's new creation. Did you notice it? It actually tells you it's missing. What's not there? Anybody pick it up? No sea. Why is this? What's going on here? I like the beach. In fact, many people think heaven's like the beach. You go and drink your pina colada by the thing on the chair. and No, no, not in God's heaven. John is a Jewish person a non-seafaring people. And for them, of course, as you've probably heard many times before, the sea is always a dangerous place. It's a place of darkness and chaos and dark forces and murderous creatures that bring about death and destruction. There is no sea in God's new creation. None of it. No death, no destruction, no horrible evil, no terror. No fear, not even any tears of suffering and grief like some are experiencing this week. There is water though, and it isn't the sea. You heard that, didn't you? It's uh, water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Jesus is the living water in this, system, in this city. His grace, his forgiveness, his love. 
The Samaritan woman at the well first heard that, didn't she? She heard that and then he thirsted. He thirsted for the water on the cross so that we don't have to anymore. We just drink in his forgiveness and his kindness every day. Friends, we've tasted death this week. Thinking of Lawrence, thinking of Kevin. Funeral tomorrow and Thursday. Happens a lot around here, doesn't it? I don't like death. I don't like it at all. In fact, I don't think you do either. I don't think anybody likes death. And I know for sure that God doesn't like death. And he's done something about it. He's killed it. God has killed death in his new creation. Death is actually dead for those who put their hope in him. We're not going to heaven when we die, folks. Heaven's coming to us so we can live now and at the last, perfectly fully. Jesus is raised and death is dead. You were dead in your sins before God came and found you and now you're alive by faith in his grace. And what about those who have gone before us? What about those who have fallen asleep, as the New Testament puts it sometimes? What about the dead? His beloved ones, his beloved ones, rest in him. Until that great final resurrection, when all evil will be reckoned rightly, no one will get away with a thing. No injustice will be, it'll be dealt with properly and fairly. And all the living and all the dead will be raised. And some will be raised for this final, complete new creation. Finally complete. The garden city, Jerusalem. Living water running down its streets without cost. No chaos, no fear, no evil, no grief, no death, no tear. And hopefully, hopefully, hardly anyone will have to stay in the old dying dead creation. And that, my friends, is where you and I live. And that's where we come in. We've got work to do. Our job in the power of the Holy Spirit is to help them into the new creation before the final resurrection. Ours or the final one. We have hope to give sinners a better future for putting the widget on the wadget. We have an earth to fight for. It's worth fighting for this planet and these creatures because they're God's. We have bodies to tend, our own and other people's needs. We have everything to give because we've been given everything. We will not miss out on a thing so we can give it away generously every day. 20 million bucks is a drop in the ocean when it comes to God's new creation. Friends, your future determines your now. What future Are you allowing to determine your now? It's a good future you've got, so it's a good now. So live and serve and love and pray. Your work will mean something. Your contribution will be spirit-filled and generous. Your marriage will be lived in this kind of love from the hope that you have and you share together. Your suffering will be endured with a song of faith. And actions of love for your enemies. Live, love, pray, hope today. Your new creation come on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Christ. 
Amen. And God's new creation and the new creator, Jesus himself, keep you and your heart and your mind, your body, everything about you in him on this journey in the new creation. Amen.